This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. Hello, and welcome to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. I'm your host, Cal Steiger. On today's episode, we feature two more podcasts written, recorded, and produced by students in the broadcasting program at Durham College. We'll first hear A Little Birdie Told Me, where we catch up on all the Blue Jays news now that MLB training has begun. Following up, we hear Pop Culture Mark, where the hosts have a cross-generational chat highlighting the glory days of much music. First up, A Little Birdie Told Me. Welcome on into A Little Birdie Told Me, the podcast where we discuss all things Toronto Blue Jays, hosted by yours truly, Byron Edmondson. This week, we're jumping into the Jays' off-season struggles, spring training, and the future of the team. Joining me in the conversation is my friend, Monique Bopari. All right, jumping into things. We all know that this offseason for the Jays has been just as painful as the ending to last season. General Manager Ross Atkins really hasn't made any meaningful additions to the team and in turn lost out on the Otani deal. Things really aren't looking all too good for the boys of summer. Monique, we'll start with your thoughts. What have you made of the Jays offseason so far? I think it was completely lackluster. I think we got completely played in the Shotani uh, debacle, I guess you could say. Um, I think he definitely leveraged us. And I think the rich, I think we were probably originally supposed to sign him. I think he was actually going to sign here. And then just to, you know, or maybe not sign here, but I guess he leveraged us and said, like, hey, Dodgers, this is what the Blue Jays are offering. Um, what can you offer? And I think obviously they upped up the deal and then he just never came, came back to the Blue Jays and then and then that was it. And then the whole city was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to be a Jays fan and um, it was a mess. And then we took Vladdy to arbitration and he won. So now we got to pay him. I don't know what's going on with this team. I think their effort to make any meaningful competitive trades and acquisitions has been lackluster, like you said, to say the least. The Jays simply were outmanaged in the Otani deal. Like, now, I wouldn't necessarily expect or would have expected the LA Dodgers to bend and stretch the MLSB rulebook in the way they did, but the Jays put themselves in a bad position in the small hope that Otani would choose Toronto, and while doing so, lost out on key players like Juan Soto, to a team in their division, that being the New York Yankees, who was also, quotes, all in on Otani. Every team who was in the talks to sign Otani were all in, but also managed to have a plan B. There seemingly was no plan B for the Jays, and it cost them dearly in the offseason. Like, the Jays seem to have signed a misfit crew. Like, re-signing Kiermaier, okay, okay. It's a good defensive move, but doesn't help the lineup, which was abysmal last season. You watched them, it, 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 was, it was awful. Like, I don't even remember the stat, but runners in scoring position, I it, it made me want to cry. Made me want to cry. Every single time you got a runner on second or third, it's three strikes you're out or just a fly out. It's it, it was horrible. And I heard yeah, there, them in the playoffs there, there was well. a lot of there was a lot of flyouts. If I was watching right? games, whatever, there was a lot either 
I think um, in the Union in the playoffs, we just got struck out or grounded out every single time, especially when we had players on second and third. Like, we have to capitalize. And I'm not saying it's Vladdy or Bobochet's fault or even the guys. I mean, they're they're players for a reason, right? They're playing top-end baseball for a reason. They made it yeah. to MLB for the reason, right? So, I mean, I guess, I don't know, man. Yeah, continue on. Sorry about that. No, no, like I agree with you. Like they, like these star players, it's not only on them, but it, it should be a complete effort in the lineup and a complete effort by your coach or manager in this case. Like it, John Schneider didn't seem to make the right moves where it mattered, but yet we still re-sign him and, or keep him on, sorry. Like, mm-hmm especially in the playoffs that that to me seemed like his final straw with pulling Barrios in lieu of Kikuchi it it really it, it just shifted everything and Buck Martinez yep. the Jays play-by-play announcer even said like why would you do that why would you pull a guy who you know he you know what Barrios has to offer you did not know what Kikuchi had to offer you need to leave Barrios in until you start to see him slip and then turn to your next starter. Because, like, yeah, you're on the brink of elimination, so you're obviously going to use both your starters if you can. But don't just pull one after four or five innings just for the sake of it. If that person's on a roll, then keep him on a roll. Kikuchi didn't practice the way that Barrios did ahead of that game. Like, I don't even think he was prepared to go in. I, I really don't think. And he, he was, was expecting Maria's to, to watch. Yeah, that was that was that was a rough one to watch. I still to this day don't understand why they can say it was the statistics man or what the heck they, they were talking about or the rumors that we all saw online. Um they went in favor of stats and whatever, analytics and but end of the day is it's Schneider's fault. I think he he was the person in charge. And obviously should have left him in, um, especially in elimination. You see it every every team, um, even NHL, the M- uh, NBA, whatever. They, when you're against, when you're in the brink of elimination, you put your best players um, in the game. And you keep them in the game until they're no longer, you know, they're either tired or whatnot. That's 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 what you're supposed to do. I mean, in a situation like that. And obviously they blundered that. They blundered the off season, and um, we'll see where it goes. Now, before we go any further, I want to get some fan thoughts in. So we're gonna hear from some eager Jays fans about their own thoughts from the off season. Well, honestly, I don't think you could really chop it up as anything other than a complete disaster. Um, it all began with Shohei Otani. Uh, we all we were all following that whole uh, whole situation, and I got my hopes up. I, I much like every other fan, I got my hopes up that um, we had our next star, and didn't shape up that way. Now it came down to the Dodgers, and that doesn't shock me at all. I knew they'd be up there for sure, and they had the money to spend. They're trying to win a World Series, which is what we should be doing, but the Dodgers have more money, so that's all you can say. Beyond that, they had numerous opportunities. And they still do to pick up where they left off, but they let Jorge Soler go to the Giants for money that Ross Atkins could have 
been able to spend. It, like he made what eighteen million a year, something like that, and that's money that we could have spent. Went to arbitration with Vladdy. Vladdy won. Now, I'd rather have him than lose him, but that's money that we're spending. Uh, Cody Bellinger is still out there. I think that's the only guy you can really look at now as a piece that might add some punch to the lineup. But, I mean, you look at what they did do. I mean, IKF, sure. Um, bringing back Kiermaier, sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a disappointment, but uh, I guess there's still time left. We'll see what they do. Now, I 100% agree with what these fans are saying. It's really a lose-lose scenario for the Jays right now. They let most of these pieces just pass by because they were so focused on this Otani deal. Like, we still have time. Spring training, though, is right around the corner, but we have time. <laughs> there are some pieces that we can add. I think Cody Bellinger is probably your number one look. I know Matt Chapman is still a free agent. I know he kind of was exploring the market and he's definitely asking too much, but he is another piece that was helpful for us. He's defensively very good. I Again, it's the same Kiermaier problem, but I, I don't know. Do you need a new hitting coach? I don't know. What do you think? I think I completely, I mean, you can feel the frustration in this fan. Um, I think most of the city, even if you're not, you know, full-on Blue Jays fans or you just follow them when they hit the playoffs, right? Um, again, if they make the playoffs and um, every year you can just, it's just soul-crushing, soul-crushing. It's almost at a point of no recovery compared mm -hmm. to the success the team had in 2015. Mm -hmm. It's, we really haven't got anywhere near a World Series contending team in quite a while. And with what the Dodgers have done, it's not going to be any easier. Now, before we wrap up, just going to quickly glaze over the fact that spring training is coming up and right after that the beginning of the 2024-25 season mm -hmm. we have contracts for Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Gosman, Chris Bassett. They're all coming to a close in the next couple of seasons. We have a very interesting scenario with the LA Dodgers like with how they've constructed their team and deferred money on these players' contracts, they're expected to dominate the next few seasons, especially in the playoffs. If I were Ross Atkins, or perhaps even the next set of Jays management, because Atkins' contract is coming to a close soon, I would be considering moving some of these players. Especially the ones like, I don't want to say blow up the team, but with the way they've played, they almost have to. It's a interesting scenario because you really don't know how well these Dodgers are going to do. But if there's just this team that's going to dominate the entire league, especially in the playoffs, 
in one swift motion over these next couple of years. I almost want to rebuild the team and prepare for what comes next after these Dodgers either start to slump, continue to slump, or win five World Series in a row, and then they their star players go to different teams. But all we have to do is wait and see how well, one, our team performs, and two, how well the Dodgers perform. I think all eyes are going to be on that essentially God squad. And we'll have to see what moves management needs to make. It's going to be an uphill battle for the Jays because of some of their questionable moves in the playoffs, or sorry, in the offseason. But we'll have to see. That's mm -hmm. all the time we have today. Thank you everyone for tuning in and come back next time for more on A Little Birdie Told Me. I've been your host, Byron Emerson. Take care. You're listening to Durham College Student Podcasts on Discovery. Up next, Pop Culture Mark. Welcome to Pop Culture Mark, where we discuss major events, trends, and moments that have made their mark on the entertainment industry and left a lasting impact on the pop culture world. Today, we'll be talking about how music videos change the music industry and the importance of music video platforms like MTV and Much Music. I'm your host, Mark Dixon, and I'm joined by my co-host for this episode, Owen Loudon. Hi, Owen. How are you doing, Mark? Pretty good, thanks. I'm excited about this conversation we're going to have. And I'm just going to let everyone know uh, that, uh, full disclosure here, I'm part of the Gen X generation, uh, the MTV Much Music generation, and Owen here is part of the Gen Z generation. Yep. I'm an 04 baby, and Mark is a... Yes, from another decade. Correct. <laughs> so it is uh, pretty clear we are going to have a little different experience. For sure. Obviously, you haven't really grown up with music videos the same way I did. Uh, and so we're going to compare and contrast that a little bit, which I think will be a fun conversation to have. With you, Mark, it's always a fun conversation. Thank you, Owen. This episode, we are talking about the impact of MTV and Much Music and their huge popularity from the 1980s well into the 2000s. MTV in the United States was the first major music television network on the air, launching on the 1st of August, 1981. Famously, the first video played on MTV was Video Killed the Radio Star by The Buggles. Canada followed suit with the premiere of Much Music on August 31st, 1984. Their first sort of video was by U.B. Blake, it was a musical short from the 1920s. However, their first proper music video they played was The Enemy Within by Rush, which was a classic Canadian band, so great choice there. And the catchy Much Music slogan was The Nation's Music Station. Uh, so as I was saying, I'm definitely part of that generation that uh, grew up with that from the time I was a kid. Uh, and music videos had started even before uh, MTV and Much Music, but they didn't really have a platform uh, not on that level. Uh, there were some shows that dedicate to music videos, even going back as far as the Beatles, uh, that well before your time, even before my time. I know who the Beatles are. <laughs> but even they, like they had a movie that was almost sort of like uh, music videos. And the Monkees and other bands, even the 60s, were doing little short things. But, but again, there really wasn't any place to show them, um, at least not like on a network on a regular basis. Um, but so for me, uh, yeah, from the time I was like a preteen, music videos had already started. Uh, and prior to Much Music and uh, MTV, 
Um, there were a couple of like regular shows I watched uh, that uh, did feature music videos. After school, there was when video hits uh, with Samantha Taylor. And it was on, um, I believe, CBC. And it was whatever time of day. It was right after school. So you could watch it Monday to Friday. It was like a half hour of the big hits. Uh, and then uh, there was also Good Rockin' Tonight with Stu Jeffries. That was like a Friday night show. That sounds like a fun so show. It was a fun show, yeah. And it was, as the name sort of implies, I feel like the, the one during the daytime, the after school one was more like very pop oriented and the Friday night one was more rock oriented. So it's a couple of cool different uh, different ways to watch. But then MTV, much music came along. I grew up in the country. We didn't get to have cable TV. So I couldn't actually watch it until I moved into the city. Now I have to ask, how big a deal have music videos been in your life for your generation, would you say? My music video experience was very limited when I was younger. It was because, you know, that's when the Internet was around. People were posting it on YouTube and Facebook and stuff like that. So I didn't actually have the, you know, dedicated programming. Right. To music videos. Um, And then I didn't personally when I was a kid, I didn't have Internet access till I was older. So my first. Just to restrict to your parents. My parenting. My parents good decision. parenting I didn't decision. have devices. And That's fair. I didn't really know what the internet was until I was like 10. Okay. It, it yes. was a while. Yeah. But I do remember occasionally. It didn't happen very often. But my mother would actually, she would find out about these music videos. And she would, you know, sit me and my brother sister down and be like, okay, funny music video to watch. Or this is popular right now. Let's watch it. We'd watch it together. Awesome. And no, those are actually some of my fond, some fond memories I have with my mother. She's sitting us down. We watched it. I remember some when they came out was Gangnam Style. Oh, right. Of course. I remember that one. Um, She also sat me down to, what is it? What song was it? Uh, Shut Up and Dance With Me by Walk the Moon, one of her favorites. Oh, great song. She showed me the music video for that. And there were a few others, but. I'm sure your mom grew up with much music. So she was probably part of that generation too. So, uh, but I remember Gangnam Style. That was huge. Massive. Totally different uh, um, way uh, with YouTube made such a game changer. Not so good for music television, but uh, is a whole new way. Made it very accessible to people around the world, right? Yes. And I think Gangnam Style was one of the first videos, if I remember, to make it to like a billion views. On YouTube, for so sure. So it was like a big deal. And I think other ones have done that since. But they but, were the first super viral, super quick one, yes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But, yeah, so with you and your friends, like, say, even high school, often when you're really getting into music, did do you and your friends talk about music videos or watch the same music videos or uh, or not? Not necessarily in high school. I finished high school a few years ago. And right. if there was a song that wanted to be shared, it was, here's the Spotify link. And Spotify is, you know, strictly right. audio. There's no right. video recorded to it. Um, there were a few that were shared when they came out. Again, high school a few years ago for me. Um, when Old Town Road by Lil Nas X came oh, out. Oh, sure, yes. And was it Billy Ray Cyrus? I'm Billy Ray sure? Cyrus, That yes. one was shared. And his achy, breaky heart. No. <laughs> I don't, no another Martin. video far before your time. but That's the only high school one I remember being shared. But again, in my generation, it wasn't very popular. Not popular, but at least around my friends, we didn't say, hey, let's go watch this new Taylor Swift video. Let's watch this right. new video. It's... If you want to listen to it, here's the link. And I understand that a lot of people, um, yeah, that like that are fans of a band or a singer, they definitely YouTube still like they their views like the the music videos get a lot of views. But it kind of seems because a lot of people who are already fans yeah. go and and watch those videos uh, because I know 
yeah, when we had music television, like much music, often they'd have dedicated shows. There was a lot of top 40 pop music. They'd also have shows dedicated to like alternative music or rap music um, and or rock music. And those were often how you would sort of find out about new bands or new singers. It was sort of curated content. So that's how you got, oh, that's super interesting. Yeah. Instead of just searching someone up, that's right. how you were kind of forced into finding these new people. And you because would... no internet, so there was nowhere to look it up. So, yeah, absolutely. It could between, and radio stations were a big deal, too. So you'd either hear a song for the first time on the radio, but then again, on the radio, you couldn't get a lot of um, information, uh, and you couldn't look it up anywhere. But yeah, that's where much music came in. They introduced you to the arts, they, uh, the artists, uh, they introduced you to new music, and, and yeah, that's how you get turned on to new, new, new singers that you may have never heard of before. That sounds so fun, actually, how you would just, by coincidence, just be watching, say, on Much Music, a Backstreet Boys right. video, and you've never heard of them before. Right. And then you fall in love with their music because you just so happen to catch it at the right time. Exactly. And I mean, and to be fair, I'm sure it's a whole industry, right? Obviously, there's a whole recording industry that would choose the artists and choose who to promote. Of course. And with the dawn of music videos, it became a lot about the image became very important. Yes. Because obviously, it was vis- more visual than ever been before. So uh, artists like, I think of like, uh, when the early years, uh, in the 80s, when Much Music and MTV came out, there was artists like Madonna and Cyndi Lauper, Prince, Michael Jackson was huge. We're and they, over. they all had like a very unique style. So they're, and I mean, great performers as well, but, um, and some of them great singers, but part of it, a big part of it was their image, their look that, um, yeah, that drew people in. Yeah, interesting too, even the, um, VJs, they called them, uh, who hosted the music shows. So introduced the videos. They would um, have little concerts, basically. Uh, much music. 299 Queen Street West, a famous uh, location. That's still, I believe, the studios for CTV. Back then, though, it was the home of much music. They'd have concerts out in their parking lot, basically. And the biggest stars would come and and perform. And they'd interview them. And anyone could go and um, try and, and get in. I never tried it, but you go in and uh, um, I think you probably had to get a wristband or something to go into the vicinity. So it was like a um, small concert kind of thing? Basically it was, yeah, yeah. And hundreds of people would show up. So they'd have to like sort of shut down, I think, part of like Queen Street That's a big in order deal. to do it. So it was a big deal, yeah. And and you could just go, and I had definitely did go check out the studios because they had these big open windows. You'd look and, in? And you could see them working. And sometimes the VJs, as they're hosting a show, uh, and like the nice weather especially, uh, they could come out onto the sidewalk and like talk to people passing by uh, randomly. And, Many celebrities. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes, yeah, they were celebrities themselves. Absolutely. And back in the 90s, because that's when I really started watching, um, there was like a few that I was fans of. Uh, there was um, uh, Erica M., uh, Rick the Temp Campanelli was big, Master T. There's a lot of them uh, that, uh, but yeah, they were sort of celebrities in their own right because they got to hang out with these, the hugest, uh, the biggest celebrities in the world. In the music uh, industry. Yeah. So yeah, it was, a pretty, so it was really the coolest job you could have. And I'll share another little story with you. I actually once entered a contest they had to, uh, it was a much music temp contest. And the whole point of it was anyone could enter. Okay. Um, and I think there's probably some age things, right? You probably had to be 18 or something. But the gig, you actually got to be a temp. 
at much music for three months or something. So you you got if you won, you had a chance to go learn uh, what the job entailed, and it was a temp position. But there were, and I think they did it for a few years. I think he even got like a car or like a Ooh. car lease maybe for a year or something. It was something like Better that, I believe. So it's really it was a big deal. And um, but I obviously it didn't work out Aww. for me. There would have been thousands of people who applied, and I didn't have any. I don't know if he even had to have. I don't think technically he had of experience, but it probably helped. I remember that one of my favorite VJs uh, wrecked the temp Campanelli. That's why he got had the name the temp. Uh, was his nickname because that's how we got the he, job. He got he when he was a temp, yeah, and, and they liked him and he they kept him around. So nice, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. You made a career off it, but yeah, it was a really cool era. I will say that it did run its had its era. It had and it ran its course. It did in the two thousands. Uh, there was a couple of things going on at the same time. I mean, the rise of the internet, where people could look up information and people. Artists did realize they could start sort of advocating for themselves, too. And you probably know, like, I've heard of artists. Now I know it's not uncommon for people to be discovered on YouTube or social yes. media, right? Social media songs go viral, and artists pick up traction, and they just build off it. It's very yeah. common nowadays. The good and the bad of it, right? Because before, record companies had so much power uh, in who got a chance to break through. Uh, there was also the rise of reality television also made an impact. Because a lot of companies realized they could make reality TV, you know, pretty cheaply. So slowly became more reality, reality TV, TV took over. Right. The music and, shows. And so between those two things, that's the main two reasons, I think, why you, we don't really know, like, much music in MTV may exist in some format. Like, MTV is still, I think, out there for reality TV, but not as a music uh, video. They're not a music station anymore, I don't think. But uh, it was a pretty fun time while it lasted. It sounded like quite a ride, Mark. You talk to your parents about it, and they'll let you know, They'll too. fill me in. But I want to thank you for joining me today. This was, like, a really fun conversation. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I'll fill you in on some of the cool 80s and 90s music videos you should check out on YouTube, okay? I will be delighted to check it out. And, Mark, of course I had a good time. I learned a lot. I learned about music. I learned about you and what you get up to. When yeah. you were my age, it sounds like a lot of fun. I like to hear your perspective, too. So thank you for that. See what the young kids are getting up to. And you still love music, right? Of course it's I just do. just different ways of uh, consuming content. I can now just pull it up on my phone whenever. Yeah, that part's pretty cool, I have to say. It's quite convenient. I do the same thing now that I have no other choice. But, but thanks again for joining me, Owen. Anytime. And uh, And that's all for today. I'm Mark Dixon, and on behalf of my co-host, Owen Loudon, Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Mark. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Listen to this episode or any other edition of Discovery on our website, 1059theregion.com, or wherever you access your favorite podcasts. Catch you next week. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 1059 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.